I'm DeWitt Bingham. Welcome to the Justice for All podcast show, where we discuss all things social and criminal justice related, from the front end to the back end, and everything in between. You have a right to remain silent, because anything you say can and will be held against you. You have a right to an attorney. If you cannot afford one, one will be appointed for you. You're in the self-incrimination protection zone, where there is no cruel and unusual punishment, no illegal search and seizure. The exclusionary rule has you covered. So sit back, relax, and become sold on this week's episode. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to the Justice for All podcast show. I'm DeWitt Bingham, your host. Thank you for tuning in to the show that discusses all things social justice and criminal justice, where the goals are to inform you, the American citizen, of your constitutional rights, to provide educational and occupational guidance to high school and college students, and to be a voice for change. I'm excited about today's show because today's guests are the second of my Criminal Justice 101 spring semester students to be a guest on the show. So without any further ado, ladies and gentlemen, I introduce to some and present to others, the bright and intelligent, Miss Stephanie Zacek and Miss Tessa Wheatley. <laughs> Welcome to the show, ladies. Thank you. Thank so, you. So how y'all doing? You're good? Yeah. The good thing about having this as part of your grade is I get to check in with you wonderful young people at least once during the semester and ask you how you're doing. So how do you like doing online classes so far? Is everything to your schedule a lot better? Okay. Agreed. Agreed. (laughs) And so thus far, has it been difficult to navigate the class? Not at all. No, pretty laid out. Well, Okay. Now y'all y'all wouldn't y'all not just saying that, are you? Because no. you're actually talking to your instructor. Because though that is music to my ears that you aren't having any problems navigating through the online class. All right. So this is the end of the third week and you've had two homework assignments and a test this week. And if I'm not mistaken, you Two young ladies performed exceptionally well on the first exam. So proud of you guys. And thank you for taking my class. Segment one for the educational and occupational guidance of high school and college students. We accomplished this by having our guests introduce themselves. So if you would tell the audience where you were born and raised, what high school you attended, your planned major why you enrolled in the class, and give us one career goal. Let's begin with you, Tessa. So I was born and raised in Secor, Illinois, which is about 20 miles north of Normal. Um, I attended El Paso Gridley High School and graduated during 2020, so it was kind of a weird COVID time. Um, I plan to graduate this May from Heartland with my associate in art. From then, I will go to Penn Foster. It's an online tech school for veterinarians, uh, assistants and technicians kind of thing. Um, And one career goal I have, um, definitely to work better around horses. I still got some things I'm not quite uh, accomplished there, but just being more comfortable around them would definitely be something I would want to accomplish. Okay, Stephanie? 
I was born and raised in Pontiac, went to all the Pontiac schools, Pontiac Township High School, where I kind of took a break after high school. And about five years after that, started Heartland Community College. For a while there, I was kind of just taking the prerequisites, not knowing what I wanted to do until I finally decided on forensics, following the line of science and criminal justice system. I enrolled in this class because I wanted to learn the structure of the system and how it functioned to better understand it all and how it works and how I can eventually contribute to it all. And my career goal in life is to be a crime scene investigator, more along lines of like evidence technician or forensic science investigator, which needs all the aspects of science, mainly biology or chemistry. And I look forward to doing it. First, I want to ask, Tessa, so you actually have a desire to be a veterinarian. Yes. And so I'm re- now I'm interested in knowing what drove you to take a criminal justice course. My cousin, Christy, actually took the class in 2019 and she loved it with you. And so when I was trying to figure out what extra credits I could take, she was like, oh, you should really take this class. It was great. I had a lot of fun. So I was like, why not give it a shot? And I'm enjoying it so far. Well, awesome. I always say that even concerned citizens can benefit from taking criminal justice and learning about the criminal justice system from the front end to the back end. And particularly if you go into having your own business, it's nice to know what your rights are and it's good to know how you could actually benefit from knowing the law. Stephanie, you want to be a crime scene investigator. Awesome. Okay. And went to Pontiac High School. Pontiac Mm -hmm. Indians, one of my favorite places to uh, uh, referee basketball back in the day and just love Secor. You went to El Paso Gridley, right, Tessa? Did you know Maya Graham? Yeah, we had a couple classes together and actually her brother plays basketball and my little sister Cheyenne cheers. So I get to see her mom and dad all the time. Awesome. They are wonderful people. They are. All right. Let's move on to segment two. Constitutional rights. The theme of our text or the theme of our course textbook is individual rights versus public safety. That was a question on the first exam. It poses the question, is there times when we should give up our individual rights for the safety of the American people, i.e. 9-11 and the insurrection where the courts are ordering insurrectionists to turn over their emails and phone records? We all have individual rights that the system must respect. That said, What is your favorite constitutional right? Beginning with you, Stephanie. My favorite constitutional right is Amendment Number 5. All four people accidentally incriminating themselves when they're in court and getting called out for it. It ultimately gives people a chance to think before they speak and to let people know that, hey, I don't want to talk until I'm ready to say something. And it's there are many cases where even the innocent can sound guilty being grilled by lawyers on the other side. And just because they say something wrong or the wrong wording, they can end up being incriminated for something they didn't do. So pleading the fifth, even though it was a joke as a kid, when you did something sneaky, it can be very useful when you're in the court cases and everything. Okay. Tessa? I would have to say the fourth amendment. I think it's important to remember that like, just because, you know, the criminal justice system, they have like power and authority we also need to you know not let them overpower us sometimes and remember that our property is ours and 
you know, got to be careful on what happens. Not not to say you're in trouble when they want to search something. Just make sure they have the proper documents and able to search. Oh, it sounds like you guys have learned well thus far because in that first unit and on that first exam was the Fifth Amendment and the Fourth Amendment. Everybody has the right uh, against self-incrimination. And when it comes to the Fourth Amendment search and seizure, they have a right to not be illegally searched. Okay, before we move on to segment three, in the first two chapters of our class, you've learned about Weeks versus the United States, Miranda versus Arizona, what a grand jury is, a true bill, Jim Crow laws, and much more. You're going to learn in Module 3, Week 7, about the court, that the Supreme Court is the highest court in the land, and it makes decisions that govern our lives. The greatest attorney, lawyer, and judge to walk the face of the earth was a man by the name of Thurgood Marshall. Have you ever heard of him? I remember a little bit in school, but not not too much. Okay. Well, if anybody ever asked you, why do you think Thurgood Marshall is the best attorney, lawyer, and judge to ever walk the face of the earth? Just tell them that Mr. Bingham said that he would. <laughs> <laughs> Since its creation over 200 years ago, 110 of the 115 Supreme Court justices have been white males. What's your thoughts on President Biden possibly nominating the first African-American woman to be a Supreme Court justice? Let's start with you, Tessa. I think that's great being a female, you know, to see them getting out there and accomplishing their dreams and not letting anybody stopping them. And to have a black female just kudos to her and was able to push through all the negativity and really going out there and starting new things and uh, I think could be very influential in the upcoming generations. Okay. Stephanie? I have to agree with Tessa. Like having um, a black woman up in the office, it's it can be very motivational for everybody out there who wants to have a voice in the future. And it's putting a stepping stone in the Black Lives Matter movement um, with everybody wanting to get more truly equal rights. I find it Awesome. Let's move on to segment three, being a voice for change. As emerging adults going through life who grew up in a predominantly white America, what say you about white supremacy and Black Lives Matter? Beginning with you, Tessa. Growing up in like that small town, we had very much, you know, everybody was white and we were all treated the same. And now like growing up and seeing that, no, not everybody is. It's kind of discouraging. So I think we definitely need to unite together more and realize that there's no difference in religion, race, color, anything. We're all humans and we need to kind of accept that so we can move on and do greater things. Okay. Stephanie? For the Black Lives Matter, I think it's beyond past due for everyone having a chance to stand up. And I always hear how, you know, white people... How they're so offended that it's not all lives matter or how it's not white lives matter. And I always have to tell them, I'm like, that's not the point of it. But the movement isn't about all lives. It's about wanting the same treatment everybody else gets and finally getting the true equal life, equal rights without all the judgment and racism that people have inflicted on them. If you look at history, 
yes, slavery was abolished in 1865, but people still had to endure the hardships, the unequal treatment, the separations. And it was just, what was it, 1968 when Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated for being a civil rights? And my dad was eight in 1968. That's how little time has passed. There are so many people who find it difficult to move forward in life and see past someone's skin color. So it's finally time for everybody to see that we're all equal and that everybody deserves the same rights. Awesome, Stephanie. So what you're saying as a solution to uh, for those who think that African-Americans don't believe in back in the blue, because if I'm not mistaken on both of you guys, this pre-survey you actually stated that you would not defund the police. Is that correct? Yes. Right. And what you are saying is that you believe that when African-Americans are saying Black Lives Matter, they're not saying defund the police or don't back the police. But what they're saying is that African-Americans lives matter, too. Yes. What about white supremacy, though? I noticed that on your pre-survey, you guys actually put that you believe that it exists. Can you comment on that beginning with you, Tessa? Yeah, I would I would just have to say that like stereotyping like a black man walking down the street. You you know, you get nervous. Whereas if it was the same age boy, you wouldn't feel as nervous. I feel like that definitely has you know, it still exists and is around today. We just don't normally call it white supremacy, I guess. Okay. It's okay. kinda how I feel about it. Okay. But I think it's still there. Stephanie? When you it's in the, all the profiling shows, too. If you walk in and you see, like Tessa was saying, if you see a white man versus a black man, you are raised to think that it was safer to choose, you know, to walk by the white man. But it's not true. That's Mm-mm, not at all. And it's people had it so backwards growing up. It's just that initial judgment shouldn't be there. Usually it was how people looked at the white people versus the black people initially. And I always hated when people would always make comments like that. Oh, don't walk by him. You know, it's not safe. And I always made it my priority to be like, okay, fine. If you say I can't go up there, I'm going to go up and have a conversation with him just to prove you wrong. Awesome. So I could see everywhere I went that people subconsciously, like they would cower whenever they saw, you know, a colored man walking by them versus a white person. I always found it wrong. Excellent. Excellent, ladies. So along those lines, what did you guys think about the insurrection? Because because and I asked that question because I'll never forget my daughter actually texted me and she she asked the question, Dad, do you see this? Are you watching this? And she made the point that if the majority of the people were African-Americans and they were doing that, they all would have been shot and being graveyard dead. What's you guys' take on the insurrection? Do you think that, I think it's now approximately 700 people that have been arrested. Do you think that that is just that they actually have been arrested and charged? In the Constitution, when it tells you you have a right to stand up against the government, they didn't mean it as in a violent way. They meant it as like a peaceful protest that people in numbers could stand up and stop the government, not you know, go and use your humanly instincts and go hurt people and destroy property. That's not how it was supposed to be taken. I think it 
is accurate that they deserve to be, you know, punished for the crime that they committed, even though the thought behind it could have been accurate, but not their actions. They could have gone about it a better way. Awesome. Tessa? Yeah, I would agree that, like, you know, you have to be held accountable for your for your actions. Awesome. Okay. Very good, ladies. What I asked all my guests is, what would you like to see the Biden administration accomplish? Beginning with you, Tessa. So what I was kind of thinking is to have the country become more united together again. I think with all the incident that's happened in the last, you know, give or take five years, we've kind of been divided and, you know, kind of pushy towards each other. And I think it'd be great if we could see us start to become one again and, you know, see that eye to eye thing and go from there. Stephanie? I would like to see them at least a lower cost college tuition, not like completely free because if it's completely free, that's just more pay that's going to come out have to come out of taxes and pay for the professor's pay and everybody else who is in charge of running a college. I just want to see like a lower tuition because that's the stuff that is the hefty bill portion and the stuff that people look at and they're like, I don't know, man, that's pretty expensive. (laughs) I want to see less talk of COVID. Like if you look on the list, like I was Googling the administration, what their priorities were and Half of it is talk about how to control and contain COVID. COVID is serious, but it's along the lines it has less death rates of the flu and pneumonia. And nobody's shutting down schools. Nobody's shutting down stores for the flu or pneumonia. I just want to see what they're doing about everything else besides COVID. Like there's a lot of other problems going on and they're mainly concerned about an illness that is already controllable and contained. Yeah. Okay. All right. I, I noticed that uh, you, in regard to the question about free community college, I think both of you guys were yes and no. Is that correct, Tessa? Yeah. Yeah, that's what I put. <laughs> <laughs> like, if you have free college, people aren't going to be as motivated to stay in it they're going to be like oh i can just drop it and try again next time no if you have to pay for something you're going to stay in it and stay motivated to get better grades okay all right okay tessa did you want to comment again yeah i feel like one thing that i said maybe should be free was like the books because i feel like those kind of is what gets you when you have to pay like five hundred dollars for a book you're going to use for 16 weeks and then sometimes you can't return them so maybe we Simple stuff like that could start and then kind of see where that goes or if that helps anybody. And Okay. I noticed on the pre-survey and questions, I think there was, uh, you guys agreed, if, if I'm wrong, just let me know. Legalization of cannabis at the federal level. Before you answer, in this class, you're going to learn about the 1986 Substance Abuse Act that was passed by Congress which caused a 100 to 1 sentencing disparity for crack and cocaine. Possession of five grams of crack cocaine mandated the same minimum sentence as 500 grams of powder cocaine. As a result, even though two-thirds of the users are Caucasian, 80% of those imprisoned have been African Americans, contributing to our prison system boom, which went from 800,000 to over 2 million and causing one Caucasian legislator to say they saw young black men as targets 
and this weighs on me. That being said, should cannabis be legalized at the federal level as African-Americans are almost four times more likely to be arrested? Beginning with you, Stephanie. I Cannabis, it, I don't see why people look at <laughs> It's not like, you know, cocaine, crack. So cannabis, it's not a big deal. It's a plant. It's more natural than crack cocaine. It's stuff that they've used for so long as a medicine. And I think if it was legalized, that they should have the same rules. Like you're not allowed to go out drunk and intoxicated into public. So you shouldn't go out high. But people who are high and who do use it, they're, they act and they're more knowing of their surroundings than people who go out drunk and belligerent. They, like when you hear people drunken stories, they're completely different. They don't know what they did. They black out. There's all these different stories, even with crack cocaine. Like when people get high, they're completely different. When you smoke weed, like I've heard stories, like when they, when someone would smoke weed, they knew exactly what was going on. They, their reactions are a little bit slower and a little bit off time, but they are well aware of what's going on. So I don't see a problem with it being legalized for those who actually need it. All right. Tessa. I think kind of the same lines as Stephanie. I think, it could, but as long as there's, you know, some regulations and to protect those that are innocent or haven't done it so nobody gets harmed, just, you know, like no driving or not being near kids or anything like that, just to protect those that choose not to engage in those activities. And everybody should be held accountable for that. I said that was the last question, but I lied. <laughs> <laughs> One last question. Police reform. Give you guys an opportunity to problem solve, if you will. What's one thing that you would do to make our police system better, Tessa? I think one thing I think would help would be the amount of training they receive. I think it's not very long, but maybe, what is it, two months maybe? If they had a little bit more training and went over to went in depth over, you know, drugs and alcohol and different races and how really to keep a clear mind when you are heading out onto the field might help. I think tremendously with, you know, those bad cops that only go after certain people or only do this or do sneaky stuff under the under the table. I think more training could definitely prevent some of that stuff. Definitely. So one thing I would, yeah, I kind of agree with Tessa, like about the training amount, like at least some schooling required something that like the classes, like taking criminal justice classes and everything, but also like being held responsible for when they do break the law, even when they're in uniform, I get like having to protect yourself if a criminal that they're fighting against starts to, you know, threaten to shoot them and stuff. I get that. But if they are not, using their forces to, you know, stop them instead of just automatically shooting someone, I feel like they should be responsible for the life that they took and stuff like that. They didn't go, if they didn't choose a peaceful response versus just, you know, whipping out their gun, I feel like they should be held responsible for that. Awesome. Wonderful, ladies. All right. So there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Heartland Community College students at the front end of their pathway to their careers, important constitutional rights and emerging adult voices on how to make America great. Until next time, keep living your best life. God bless and Godspeed. speed. <laughs>